You may be seated. Father, we love you and thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, the example that you set before us. And I pray today, Lord, that every eye and every ear and every heart will be tuned to you. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. To say that I am excited to preach this message would be an understatement. I couldn't wait to get up here this morning. And today we are going to wrap up our Are You Able series. Today is the final message in this series, and we will jump back into the book of Mark next week. We'll be in chapter two, Um, but it's been an awesome journey together these past five weeks discovering how we can be more like Jesus, and this world needs Jesus now more than ever. My prayer heading into 2024 has and continues to be for us as a church to band together and to go together to make an impact for the kingdom of God, all four the glory of God. If you've missed any of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go online and listen or watch them. Are you able? Are you able to be more like Jesus? I'm going to go back and I'm going to briefly recap the ground we've already covered in this series. And this is so important because this series has been building up to and leading to today's message. Today is the pinnacle of of what it means to be more like Jesus. But before we jump into today's message, let's review where we've been. In week one of this series, we talked about one of the greatest obstacles we all need to overcome in order to be more like Jesus. And this obstacle is a trap that Satan so cleverly sets for us. He sets the bait, he lures us in with an offense, and when we become offended, bam, that trap is sprung. We are all so easily offended allowing ourselves to be offended will cause our faith to be hindered derailed or even destroyed and to live like and for jesus we have got to be unoffendable we've got to be unoffendable oh man i need my clicker today come on lord there we go 
We've got to be unoffendable. No matter how much our flesh wants to push back on this, no matter how much we fight against this, we don't ever have the right to be offended. A child of God who forgets about being offended is... So let me, re, let me rephrase that. I'm getting too excited. A child of God who gets offended has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. Amen? We have all offended God, and therefore, we all have the right to burn in hell forever for it. But God loved us so much that he chose not to deal with our offenses as they deserve. He was unoffendable because he is able. And so the question I posed in week one of this series was, are you able? Are you able to be unoffendable? We talked all about how to handle offenses when they come, and they absolutely will come, guaranteed. The Bible tells us so. It's how we handle them that truly matters. We cannot allow ourselves to fall into Satan's trap of offense and then build up our protective walls of defense, becoming our own fortified cities. Because that's what will naturally happen if we follow our flesh. But as children of God, we don't live according to our flesh. We live according to the Spirit. And the Spirit of God will lead us to first bring the offense to God in prayer. We don't go running to our neighbor and spew all the details on how we were offended. We take it to the Lord first. And then we'll either do one of two things. We're either going to overlook the offense or we're going to confront the offense. And we need the wisdom of God to truly understand when to overlook and when to confront. And this takes diligent practice. And that's why we must exercise ourselves so that we always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And then in week two, we talked about our need to be both teachable and teachable. To be teachable, we first must be humble. Humility is what leads to teachability. And then we must seek wisdom. And the primary way that we seek wisdom is by listening. If we're not listening, we are not learning. And when we're in conversations with people, we must listen to understand, not to respond. Everything about being teachable is summed up in us fearing the Lord. That's how we can be teachable. And not only are we to be teachable, we must be teach-able, where we are able to teach others. We do this by first being ready, where we are always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that we have in Jesus. And second, we are teach-able. We are teach-able by being responsible. And we all are responsible for the Great Commission, or as I'd like to call it, the Great Commission, because we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We cannot make disciples nor teach them to obey all that Jesus commands without being teach-able. And our greatest teacher and helper is the Holy Spirit. So we never need to do this alone. As followers of Christ, we must be both teachable and teach-able. I cannot stress how important this is. The mission of this church is for all of us to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples for Jesus. Now, I could say this more simply. Be a disciple who makes disciples. It's as simple as that. We cannot execute this mission unless we are both teachable and teachable. Are you with me? In week three of this series, we talked about being hospitable and being a hospital or hospital able. 
The only thing that separates being hospitable from being a hospital is being able. The church should be a hospital where we gather with others in all of our brokenness and in all of our messiness to be made well. To be made well by coming to church, rolling up both sleeves, and connecting ourselves to the IV of the Holy Spirit so that we are completely filled with hope and grace and love and joy and peace and ultimately healing. Some of us don't need just a slow drip IV. We need a booster shot of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Think about that. The great physician, Jehovah Rapha, he sent his son into this world to be a hospital for us to be made well because he was both hospitable and hospital able. Are you able? Jesus welcomed outsiders. There was not one single person who was an outsider that he didn't invite to become an insider. The real test of being hospitable is how welcoming we are to those who may be on the margins of our society. Jesus humbly served others. Jesus actively engaged others. It didn't matter who they were or what they had done. He always showed compassion. He always listened because he was always able. Now, Jesus didn't need a home to show hospitality because the focus was never on a physical location. It was on the people. And you see, the church is not about a home. It's not about a building. It's about the people. The church is not a building. It's a body. It's all about the people, and you and I are his church. We are his body. That's our focus when it comes to being hospitable. Are you able? Are you able to be hospitable and hospital-able like Jesus? You see, the church is a hospital. It is not a hospice where we are content to live in our sinfulness on our way to death. It was during this week that I challenged all of us to try and invite at least one person to enjoy a meal with each month. Now, it's good to be hospitable to those we know, but it's even better to be hospitable to those we don't know. So I encourage us to come out of our comfort zones, to be a hospital, and to love strangers. Because when we do, we will be the hands and feet of Jesus. In week four, which was last week, we talked about being watchable and being watchable. Who remembers last week? Okay, a few of you. Just a few. All right. To be watchable simply means that we are living our lives as the Bible prescribes. And that as people watch us, they see that our lives are a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. What kind of witness are we? When people watch us, what do they see? Do they see Jesus in us? Do our actions align with what we say we believe? Are we watchable? Unfortunately, there are many who are unwatchable. They may profess one thing with their mouths, but their conduct just shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. We cannot be hypocrites. Hypocrites say one thing and they do another. That's not us. Are you able? Are you able to be more like Jesus? The more we listen and obey the Holy Spirit, the more watchable we become. We have an enemy who never stops. He never quits. He is out to destroy us. We must be alert. We are to be spiritually awake, sober, and on guard. We must be watch able. You see, this is urgent. The battle is real. We cannot afford to be lazy in our faith. We must be ready at all times for Jesus to return. And he will return to this earth. And hopefully soon. But no matter how long we wait, 
We must stay ready, and we must continue to wait expectantly for his return. We must be watch-able. Now, the warning that I shared last week that Jesus told the Apostle John to write to the church in Sardis, that is so significant and so strong that it bears repeating again today. This was Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Here's what he said. He said, I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Wake up. Repent and turn to Jesus. You see, the time is now. It's urgent. There's no time to waste. None of us know the hour or the day when he will return. Will you be ready? Will you be watchable? And are you watch-able? Now, the key to both of these, the key to being both watchable and being watch-able, is holiness. The Lord says in his word that we are to be holy because he is holy. Is that what you're pursuing in this life? To be holy as he is holy? Now, all of what I have said so far is just a review because these past five weeks has been building up to and leading to today. The pinnacle of this entire message series is today. Are you able? Our final message in this series is all about being love able. And you see, when we are love able, we will not be offended. We will love and forgive because love covers over a multitude of sins. We will be teachable and will be teachable because love is the driving force behind learning. Love shows humility, which then leads to teachability. Love listens, and if we're not listening, we're not learning. Love causes us to learn and grow so that we become more like Jesus. Being love able, it compels us to be both hospitable and hospital able. If you remember from our study on this, the Greek word behind hospitality, philoxenia, it literally means to love strangers. Love drives us to show compassion. Love leads us to pursue the welfare of others above our own. Love motivates us to be both watchable and watchable so that we look like our Savior and so that we are ready and waiting for his return. Love welcomes outsiders. Love serves others. Love engages others. Love is the driving force behind every single one of these. Are you able? Are you able to be love-able? If we are to be able as God is able, then we have to love as God loves, and God is love. He is the very epitome of love. It's not something he does. It's who he is. God is love. He didn't look down on the earth and shout his love from heaven. No, he showed us his love by personally leaving his place in heaven. And then he stepped into all of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he laid down his very life on the cross for our sins to become our Savior. That's what it means to be love-able. If we're to be more like Jesus, which is what this entire message series has all been about, then we have to love as Jesus loved. Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
Now, there is so much truth and goodness packed into these two verses right here. So let's just dive in together. Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now, the command to love in and of itself was not new. This command had been around for many, many years. All you got to do, in fact, is just open the Old Testament. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, we were commanded to love God. Here's what it, here's what it says. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we're commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It reads, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So loving God and loving our neighbor have been commands that have been around for a very long time before Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Now, what made it new? What made it new? What is so new about the love that Jesus is commanding us to have? You see, Jesus was laying down a new standard on how we are to love. You can count on Jesus to always raise the bar. Have you noticed that? He just raises the bar, and that's what he's doing here. This is a new standard which would be, which would be based squarely upon his sacrificial love for us. That's what made this new is that now the standard by which we are to love is how Jesus loved us. He gave his very life. He humbly, willingly, and sacrificially gave his life. That's the new commandment, that we are to love each other. Here it comes, just as I have loved you. That's the new standard, just as I have loved you. And what is so incredibly awesome here is that Jesus didn't just tell us how to love. He personally showed us how to love. And it cost him his very life. That's the kind of love that we are to show others. A sacrificial love. A love that gives with no expectation in return. A sacrificial love. A love that will lay down one's life for another. This is an incredibly high standard. Are you love able? Are you able to love just as Jesus loves you? Because this is what proves to the entire world that we are his disciples. This is the proof. This is the distinguishing mark of a Christ follower, showing Christ's love to others. It's not how many times you come to church in a month. It's not how well you think your prayers should sound. It's not how much money you give. It's not how much of the word of God we memorize. It's not how we dress. It's not about the homes that we live in or the cars we drive. It's not about how much stuff we can accumulate. It's not even about how much we tell people the truth. It is all about how much we show people the truth. And we show people the truth by loving others just as he loved us. That's a love that gives. That's a love that cares. That's a love that listens. That's a love that obeys. That's a love that serves. That's a love that forgives. That's a love that turns away from evil. That is a love that shows compassion. That is a love that gives thanks. That is a love that praises God, believes God, and trusts God. That is a love that loves even when it hurts, even when it's inconvenient, even when we don't feel like it. That's a love that recognizes that love is not a feeling. It is a decision. That's a love that decides to lay down one's life for another. Are you able? Are you able to love just as Jesus loved you? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them here on the bookshelf to my right, your left. You're welcome to borrow. Or you can follow along on the screen or on your mobile device. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to be reading together in verse 7. 
And what I'm going to do here in this text here in 1 John is that I'm going to use this as the backdrop for the rest of the message today. We're going to weave in and out of this text as the Holy Spirit leads us because this text is filled with the truth on how we are to be loved able. Are you ready? Are you able? All right, verse 7. <clears throat> Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Now let's stop right here for just a moment. The kind of love that John is talking about here in our text, it is not a secular kind of love. It is a supernatural love. This love comes from God. Now, the Greek word that's used here is agape. It's the highest form of love there is. I could stop and talk about the four different kinds of love in the Greek, but I'm not going to do that because the most important observation here is that this love, this agape love, it comes from who? From God. It only comes from God. It does not come from the world. It's supernatural. If you're taking notes, put that down in your blank. It's supernatural. You see, this world gets this wrong all the time. The world says love is love. You ever heard that before? Love is love. Oh, it sounds so good, doesn't it? What the world is saying here is that I can love whoever I want, whenever I want, and however I want. Oh, they package it so well. It looks so good, looks so appealing. And any attack on this, it's seen as intolerant and judgmental. When the world says love is love, it's in effect saying that love is whatever we make it to be. That's like saying we're defining God according to our image. And who are we to think that we could ever redefine our creator according to our image? Man can be so arrogant and so prideful to think that he can define love by his feelings. But God is not like our feelings that change all the time. He's not a God that will celebrate with us as we do whatever makes us happy because doing whatever makes us happy when it conflicts with God's will or God's word will never, ever, 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 ever result in us being happy. Are you with me? That is an endless illusion that only leads to death and destruction. That is the deception and insanity of saying love is love. Worldly love is always changing and redefining itself. But biblical love, is unending and unchanging. Love is not love. God is love. And God does not change. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad that God doesn't flip-flop on His love for you like our feelings do? Aren't you glad that God doesn't change His word to match our culture or shift His stance on whatever seemingly new idea that man has come up with to justify more of his sin? God's love is unchanging. It's who He is. Now, something else that this world gets confused about concerning love is lust. Love is also not lust. I think Job captures the severity of, of lust rather well. Here's what he says in Job chapter 31, verses 11 through 12. He says, For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. That's pretty strong, isn't it? It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. So what is lust? Lust is a strong feeling or desire to get what it wants for immediate satisfaction without regard for others or the consequences. Love is God-directed, while lust is self-directed. 
Love wants to give, while lust always wants to get. Love is dying to self, while lust is living for self. Lust is a desire we have, while love is a decision we make. To be love-able always begins with a decision, and then it grows to maturity in commitment. Decision and commitment are bedrocks for how to be love-able. You see, the world will say love is blind, but true love isn't blind at all. No, true love sees everything, all of our imperfections, all of our mess, and it still chooses us anyway. That's true love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that love covers over a multitude of sins. It takes a tremendous amount of effort and faith to overlook someone's sins, as well as their motivations behind them, and yet still choose to love them anyway. And yet, that's exactly what God did for you and I. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God chose to love us in spite of our sins, in spite of all of our imperfections. He chose us. And he loved us so much that he died for us. He gave his very life in our place. He shed his blood on the cross as payment for our sins in full because he was love able. Are you? Let's continue in the second part of verse 7 in our text. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now let's unpack what John is saying here. The Greek word for know is genosko, and it means to have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship. Now the companion word to genosko in the Old Testament in the Hebrew is yada. And that word is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, when it says, Adam knew Yada, his wife Eve, and she conceived. So that word Yada, which is the companion word to the Greek word genosko, it refers to the intimacy, the closeness of that relationship between a husband and a wife. That's the kind of love relationship we are to have with Jesus. That's what it means to know God. The true mark of a person who has this relationship, right, is that they show others that love that comes only from our Father in heaven. It's impossible to be in a love relationship with God and not show love to others ourselves. Because if we don't love, then we don't know God. In other words, if we're not love-able, then we don't have a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with the Lord. This is serious. We must be love-able. Verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. This is real love. That means anything else is a fraud. Everything else is a cheap imitation. Young people, young women, young men, I'm talking to you. Because the world will say love is sex. Love is not sex. That's a lie from hell. You see it all the time in TV. All that stuff out there. That's not what it is. You know what it is? True love waits. True love waits. True love fears the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, you're going to follow the Lord. And what does this word say? Sex is beautiful, but it's supposed to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. So young people, don't be deceived. 
Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. There's the test of your love. Will you wait? Real love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that denies self. It's a love that chooses to lay down one's life for another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Real love gives. Real love sacrifices its life for another. Real love is not a feeling. I've said that before. It is a decision. It is a decision to love as Jesus loved. Don't get caught up in the emotional side of this. It's a decision. You can be deceived by your feelings. How many know that? Yeah, amen. It's a decision. This is what Jesus taught us, and this is what he did for us. Are you able? Are you able to love others as Jesus loves you? Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. As children of God, the love of God in us is the full expression of his love. So how are you expressing yourself to the world? Do people see, hear, and feel the love of God in you? Are you love able? Verse 16. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. You see, this is the beauty of having that deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. Our love will grow more perfect. The more we remain in him, the more we will grow to be like him. To say it another way, the more we remain in him, the more love-able we become. Continuing here in verse 17 of our text. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. There it is. How do we live? We live like Jesus. That is the calling of our lives to live like Jesus here in this world. This has been the entire purpose of this series, to be able to be able to be more like Jesus. And the greatest way for us to do that is to love others just as he loves us. Are you love able? Verse 18. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? We love each other because he loved us first. That is the motivation behind why we must be love-able, because Jesus loved us first. And therefore, we are to have the same kind of love for others as he has for us. And then comes the great paradox in verse 20. How can someone claim to love God and really not love others? Let me say this a bit more strongly. How can we claim to be born-again believers who follow Christ but do not show love to others? The answer is simple. We cannot. It's impossible. Being love-able is not optional. To know Christ is to love Christ and to love others. This is the essence of the entire law of God, to love God and love people. And when it comes to loving people, the standard is incredibly high. We are to love them just as Jesus loves us. Are you able? Are you able to be love-able? Now, we've already established that to be love-able we must love as Jesus loved. 
which means we are to lay down our lives for those we love. Being love able is being sacrificial. It's putting the needs of others above our own. And no description of being love able would be complete without 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. So what I'd like us all to do is to stand to our feet. Please stand. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this text, and I'm going to pause. Every time I pause, I'd like for you to repeat after me. We're going to do this together. You ready? Are you able? Okay, here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what it means to be love able. Are you able? You may be seated. Ushers, if you could come forward and begin to prepare for communion. Communion is a time for us to remember what Jesus did for us. He loved us so much that he personally showed us what real love is by deciding to go to the cross to give his life for ours. He died so we could live. He rose from the grave so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. We don't deserve this kind of love. You can start passing them out if you're ready. But God in all his holiness and with all his infinite grace poured this love out on us anyway. This is what we remember. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The greatest act of love the world has ever known. Scripture records that before we partake in communion, we are to examine ourselves. We are to prepare our hearts. Communion is serious, and we need to take it seriously and treat it with dignity and respect. We must have the right attitude. And so for what I'd like us to focus on as we examine our hearts while this next song is played is how do we measure up to loving as Jesus loved. Ask yourself, are you love able? Now listen to me very closely. If there are sins in your life that need dealt with, this is the time to confess them to the Lord. This is the time to repent. This is the time to get our hearts right with God. And listen, no sin is too great that Jesus' blood can't cover. There is nothing too shameful or sinful that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover you. Don't be fooled by the enemy who wants to keep your heart in bondage and shame. Get free today. Decide today to get right with the Lord. He loves you because he is love able. The real question is, are you? Are you?
Scripture records on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to ask that you please take the bread, that little wafer that's in there. If you'll pull that top purple cellophane, take it out. And if you'll just hold it up once you get it out. This wafer here, this symbolizes the bread, which is the body that Christ allowed to be broken for you and for me. Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his body on the cross so that we could be free from sin and live for him. So let's break this bread together and let's eat it together. Father, we thank you that you gave your body for us. Your word says that you are the bread of life and he who comes to you will never be hungry again. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In your name, amen. Scripture also records in the same way he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you'll please take the cup and you'll pull that second cellophane and you can hold it up. This cup, it symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And it was poured out on the cross for you and for me. It's his blood that cleanses us from all of our sin. It's his blood that seals the new covenant that we are under when we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. It's his blood that provides the forgiveness of all of our sins. It's his blood that makes the gospel the power of God for all those who would believe. Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. This is the truth of the gospel. And when we place our faith completely in him, based on what he did in and through this gospel message, we can be free, free from the bondage of sin. Free to rejoice in the living hope that one day Jesus will return to this earth and he will come again. And by his sacrifice, through his blood that he shed, we can be saved and spend the rest of eternity with him. That is the joy of our faith. That is our living hope. And that is the key on how we can be love able. Let's drink this cup together. Father, we thank you so much for your blood that you shed for us. None of us deserved it. But you willingly shed that blood on the cross for all of our sins and that making us clean and whole and pure for you. Thank you, Lord. May we always remember that we are to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and you will give us everything we need. And what we need more than anything is you in Jesus name now I want to close today with one last illustration you guys ready for one last illustration when I was in high school I remember studying all about electricity and my physics professor he had this little device and it had two little terminals on it one was on the right one was on the left and then in the middle he had this wheel and the wheel had a handle that he would turn And so what he asked all of us to do in our class is he asked us to gather in one giant circle. And the one on the beginning of the circle would grab the terminal on the right. The one on the end of the circle would grab the terminal on the left. And then the professor would turn the wheel. And the electricity, the current, 
would flow through all the way around that circle as long as we were touching the person next to us. As soon as someone removed their hand, that circuit was broken, and the electricity now could not flow through us anymore. It stopped. Everyone, everyone after that couldn't feel it anymore, right? That's what happened. And uh, I don't have that device here today. I'd love to have it because I would spin that wheel as fast as I can. <laughs> Just so you guys couldn't let go of the terminals. That would be pretty cool. But what I really would like for you to do is I'd like for all of us to stand and let's make one giant circle around the outside of our living room today. Okay, and we're going to grab hands together. We're going to pray together. This is something we used to do all the time when we first started this church. Get everybody connected. Everybody's got to be connected. Now, there's a reason that I asked all of us to join our hands together because the love of God is like the electricity. Are you with me? And it flows in and through all of us. It was not meant to come into us and stop. It was not meant to come into us and terminate. It was meant to come in and go out, right? That's how the love of God should work in our lives. It flows through us. We need to be love-able so that we allow ourselves to love others just as Jesus loved us, which means we allow that love to flow in and through us and into others. Now listen, you have to get close enough to people's lives in order to touch them so they can feel and hear the love of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love of God. Thank you for that pureness, that wholeness that we have in you. You are that love. We've got the greatest example we could ever have in you. And so help us, Father, to be your hands and feet and to love this world so deeply. Lord, it needs love, real love, not the fake, cheap imitation that the world tries to peddle, but the real love of God. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. So last thing I'm going to ask, are you able? Are you able to love others just as Jesus loved you? That's the question. That's the message today. So thank you. I want to say, if you'd like to hang around for our first annual business meeting, the State of the Congregation, I would ask that you do that. We're going to have food starting at, a, at around noon. They're going to start bringing it in. But I'd like to give about five minutes for us to gather ourselves. And for those who want to be here for that, come forward, and we'll start in about five minutes. Okay? Praise the Lord. If you need prayer... Um, would like me to pray for you, come forward and uh, I'll do that.